Hello and welcome to Counterculture. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, a recent report from Ofcom suggested that comedy was an endangered species when it came to BBC output. Certainly in the past 10 years, comedy as programming on the BBC has actually decreased by something like 40%. This is extraordinary. What does this actually mean for comedy and the state of comedy? And indeed, since we last discussed this on counterculture, the whole issue of woke attitudes and indeed the free speech issue has intensified hugely. And these have major consequences for comedy. Now, with me to talk about this, I'm very pleased we have Abby Roberts, comedian and writer. Hi, Peter. Hello. Lovely to be here. Hi. Simon Evans, who's also Hello. a comedian and writer who has been on Live at the Apollo and indeed was host of a show called Simon Evans Goes to Market on Radio 4, and Emma Webb, who's Associate Fellow at Civitas. Uh, first of all, I'd like to ask uh, you, Abby, um, yeah. is comedy an endangered species, at least when it comes to the BBC? I think the BBC is an endangered species <laughs> at the moment. Um, <laughs> to be honest with you, in, in, in broader terms, I mean, I should explain, I've, I've been out slightly of... Uh, I'm, I'm a stand-up as well, but I've been slightly out of the picture because my uh, husband, who was also my manager, uh, passed away at the end of 2018. Oh. So I had um, I had time away to observe with horror what what started to happen in in comedy. Um, and I just I was just about to film my special, an hour special called Angli Chanka. Um, I speak Russian. I'm a fluent Russian speaker. So I went to Moscow, did two shows. In Moscow, so this is a bit basically my CV for anyone who doesn't know me. Um, and uh, I I came back, uh, I, you know, I, I sort of like recovered from my grief um, after a year, um, to, only to find out that we are actually now living really in in the Soviet Union. Right. Uh, it, it's quite extraordinary. So that's really a, sh a long and short way of saying I've been grieving for my husband and also grieving for comedy. Yes. Um, and I, I mean, I should explain. I mean, I know Russians. I've been I've been to Russia since the uh, late eighties. Um, my stepdad was a a spy, sorry, a diplomat, and um, <laughs> we. Uh, <laughs> so I used to go to Russia a lot, and I met I met Solzhenitsyn. I've met um, Isaiah Berlin. They were good friends of my my dad. And honestly, if 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 Solzhenitsyn could hear what was happening in the UK now. I mean, he'd probably want to go back into a gulag right. just for the hell of it. Um, so I'm, I'm uh, yeah, in, in other words, there's a lot, there's, there's <laughs> I don't even know if I've answered your question, Peter. Well, no, I think um, I get a very good, I mean, that opens up all sorts of areas. When you talk about, <laughs> you know, Russia, uh, I totally get that. Uh, and we will certainly come back to those. Uh, Simon, yeah. do you, you know, do you think that this Ofcom thing saying that, you know, Comedy is an endangered species on the, specifically on the BBC. I mean, or even for that matter, on ITV or, or any channel. Do you, do you think that there is a truth in that, or or is it just hot air? What? Well, endangered species is a, obviously quite a loaded term to use. But if they're if they're quoting a forty percent reduction in the, or you're quoting a forty percent reduction in the amount of output, that's obviously pretty significant. It doesn't necessarily need a, a descriptor like that to to give it weight. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm I'm not great at you know predicting the future. If I were, I'd be a Bitcoin billionaire, and and I wouldn't be bothering to appear on podcasts in the middle of the afternoon. You know, <laughs> we, we can well, all thank you too. We can all <laughs> <laughs> 
limitations. I feel, I feel so much better, Simon. The truth, but, the um, truth hurts. I can't I'm imagine afraid. any of us would really. But um, <laughs> no, in all seriousness, it's very hard to see what's coming next. But I think the the future for the BBC has probably never looked quite as uncertain as it does at the moment. And I don't think it's simply that it's downplaying its its comedy credentials, or indeed that it's necessarily that it's completely in hock or has been captured by you know the the woke interests and the, and the woke mindset i think it is largely due to the the fracturing of the media offer you know the the amount of different platforms available and the amount of different outlets and and routes to comedy and routes to other kinds of content i despise the word content i remember the first time my agent rang me up and said there's an ad agency that would like to pay you to provide some content for their client and it, it felt to me like it was a a hand reaching out from a sort of cyberpunk novel to, to you know, yes. grab me and pull me into a future I had no interest in. I can't imagine Alan Corrin or S.J. Perelman ever, you know, agreeing to provide content. But um, but that's where we're at now. And, uh, and during lockdown, which um, among all the other things that I didn't anticipate uh, coming – um, primarily, you know, as, as you say, the, the, the re-emergence of identity politics in, in a much stronger strain and so on, um, competing for our attention with the virus itself. One of the things that's been most noticeable is that it's probably been the non-professional comedians who've given the best value. You know, the things that people share on WhatsApp, for instance, yes. vastly funnier than the sort of watered-down versions of panel games and, and, yeah. and sort of celebrity-led stuff on the TV that has been enabled as soon as you drain those sort of things of the studio audience you see them as people have said during the you know during the 2008 financial crash when the tide goes out you can see who's swimming naked and it was it was a good comment then but it was never it was never so powerfully apposite as it was in describing uh, a lot of tv where once the studio audience had been drained away um emma do you ever watch the bbc for comedy the last time I did it was Nish Kumar's, um, what's it I called? I said comedy. The, yeah, well, quite. <laughs> but I, I think um, the, the, it's not just comedy. The writing of um, TV dramas in general seems to just, the, the quality of scripts is just, awful like and and there is a there is a lot of really great comedy um out there like comedy unleashed and there are people who are doing content independently online on youtube on instagram and um on tiktok and things like that there is really good comedy but it doesn't seem to actually make it onto television onto not just the bbc but channel 4 itv they noticed that there was a the same polling um, that found the 40 percent decline on the bbc also said that there was a slight rise in some of the other channels but that the bbc was still producing the most um most comedy um but the decline seemed to be mostly amongst sitcoms um and i think it's at least from from my perspective, it the comedy is just not funny anymore. The 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 sitcoms and and the writing of it are just not particularly witty. There's nothing clever about it, and it is I think because um, you can't really make woke compliant comedy. It's unless it's heavy self aware satire. Um, you can't you can't really make it work and still be funny. And and I think no one's willing to take the risk to make the interesting shows that will really grab people that will become beloved you know favorites like faulty towers or only fools and horses because um the risk is to, the, the cost would just be too high well i think that say only fools and horses would not be made now would it um i think you can pretty much say that i think there's a difference here isn't there really between sitcoms 
uh, sitcoms, there was a sort of a golden age, supposedly, what, 70s and 80s, maybe? 60s, 70s, 80s? I mean, what do you think of this idea, Abby, that, that sort of sitcoms require a kind of a, a, a big audience which more or less agrees with the assumptions under it? I mean, that is what has changed, that we, we don't have yeah. that kind of collective agreement anymore. I think, um, I think the best sitcoms are about character, um, and they can be flawed. They can be um, have dubious political views. They can be sexist. They can be because that reflects humanity. Um, what we're seeing at the moment is um, basically sitcoms being written um, as political rallies, um, which 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 are never funny. Anyone that's ever been to the Labour Party conference uh, will know. Um, <laughs> There's very little humour, very little humour there. Um, so I, th I think, I mean, we're, we're seeing the sanitisation of, of comedy, um, uh, this sort of purification, you know. I mean, where, you know, we want to see, I don't know if I'm allowed to say tits and arse, but we do want to see that, that side of humanity, people getting it wrong, um, because we're not literally saying we agree with somebody who's a bigot. Mm. What we're saying is, here's the character... Here's how they interact with the other characters mm. on the screen. Laugh or don't laugh or turn it over. You know when you said earlier about you know when you said earlier about, you know, yeah. Solzhenitsyn and and essentially feeling that you were, you know, like the Soviet Union. Uh, yeah. This is what you're you're talking presumably about what you the sheer list of things now that you cannot approach and cannot do as comedy. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, um, as, uh, and I'm sure Simon knows this as, well, uh, as, as you do, that um, anyone who was writing, and I met lots of people who were members of the Writers' Union um, when I was in, in Russia, you had to have things um, approved yeah. by them. So there was a sort of weird, I mean, we're seeing it now. It's, 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 it's weird because it's not just the government who are now being infiltrated with this woke. The culture, I mean, as in our fellow comedians are also now um self-censoring and even sort of totting you know that sort of oh oh yeah one of those jokes um which is never gonna it's never gonna go well it's never gonna lead to better comedy yes do you do you ever go and see comedy in clubs and things i mean you know is, is it right to say that you know i always get the sense with comedy now particularly stand-up that the audience is sort of laughing on principle, almost. They're laughing mm -hmm. to show that they're part of a mindset. Would you yeah. agree with that? It's a bit like the Soviet clapping, yes. isn't it? Yeah, yeah I, do, I do. I go to uh, Comedy Unleashed. In fact, Simon was uh, performed at the last Comedy Unleashed gig I went to in the inter-lockdown period. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there is a lot of really good comedy out there. Um, but I think what for me makes really good comedy is self-awareness and society seems to as a result of this uh, sweeping ideological panic that seems to be a sort of moral panic that's taking place and has been for longer than just the last year but obviously more intensely in the last year um, I think people have started taking themselves too seriously and in a society where people take themselves too seriously and lack self-awareness you don't get good satire you don't get wit you there's no mm. real space for laughing but mm. i think in some of the gigs that you see the more mainstream gigs 
Um, not that I have attended any recently in the last couple of years, but it does feel a bit like people are looking to see who's laughing and laughing at the bits when they sort of to feel, you know, am I laughing along at the right moment? I dare not laugh at the wrong part just in case. I need to check to make sure that it's okay for me to laugh at this. Um, And even at Comedy Unleashed, sometimes you see people, you know, looking at each other like, is it okay for me to laugh at this? I know it's a bit over the line, but it's funny. Um, so I think, you know, society's just started taking itself too seriously. And that's why we don't seem to have the kind of sophisticated wit that we used to have. Um, I think wit, certainly. Yeah. I mean, Simon, would you agree? That's a very good point. I hadn't thought of really, you know, essentially wit is in public life is not <clears throat> something that we see much. I mean, not even just coming from uh, from comedians or people who are meant to be witty, but just generally. I mean, it, it, there is very little humour. Or is it because we are just living in an incredibly miserable time? <laughs> well, I mean, the last year has certainly um, been challenging, I think, for anyone to live in with, with sheer wit. It's interesting hearing what Emma has to say about comedy clubs there and whether people are checking each other out. You know... I mean, I will defend comedy clubs to some extent. I, I recognise the the phenomenon that Emma is talking about, uh, a, a degree of anxiety. But actually, that's always prevalent in comedy audiences. Um, it was. Uh, it's not. It's not limited to you know the last two years of British comedy and the Soviet era. It was. Um, they've done uh, various uh, sort of research experiments among audiences in British comedy clubs for decades, analysing the uh, process by which laughter spreads throughout an audience. And it is fascinating to see who laughs first and with confidence and who waits to see whether it's okay to laugh. Traditionally, for instance, and this is something that a lot of comedians have long been aware of, perhaps even only subconsciously. Women are far more confident about laughing and deciding whether they like someone or not, and their boyfriends and wives tend to keep an eye on them and let them take the lead. Uh, Men can easily be shut up in the crowd if their wives and girlfriends are looking at them in a certain way when they (laughs) laugh too obviously, in a way that women are not quieted by their men glancing askance at them. (laughs) So when you get an act like Jenny Eclair, who was capable of, you know, peeling paint with with the vulgarity and the... The uh, you know the, the, the sort of uh, self debasement of her material about the various sort of indignities of post birth uh, anatomy and so on, that was the sort of thing that women could just laugh at with with uh, with like you know cackling hyenas and men who were, found it absolutely toe curlingly embarrassing in, in many respects were completely unable to have any impact on the degree to which women, women and, and so the audience all just melts you know. It's quite interesting. And I will say, I think in the early days of what, you know, is now fondly remembered as alternative comedy, the, the sort of Alexis Sale and uh, and um, Kevin Day and, uh, you know, the uh, the early days of, of, of the comedy store with Rick Mayle and so on, it wasn't terribly, terribly brilliantly funny then either. If you look back at it, it you know, it, it, there was probably an absence of wit. There was a lot of sledgehammer comedy, a lot of sledgehammer punchlines, and the political satire was pretty heavy-handed as well. But it had a sort of energy to it. It had a kind of punk energy that just carried the night. Everyone felt terribly excited. I think as much as anything in comedy right now, if I'm honest, I think as much as anything, it's slightly exhausted. I don't think it's just that it's woke politics. I think it's prey to woke politics, partly because it's not strong enough to defend itself. It doesn't have the sheer chutzpah 
to just brush that aside in the same way that certain musical genres are now becoming very introspective and anxious about their lyrical content. Yet you won't see that with hip hop. You'll still get a song like Wet Ass Pussy that will get a billion <laughs> views on YouTube. You cannot imagine a white sort of folk rock singer songwriter, you know, penning something as, as lascivious and as brazen as that. But because the hip hop genre still has lots of energy and confidence and a lot of, lot of, lot of fuel left in the tank. And so these things power forward. Whereas live comedy, it's probably due for a pretty major overhaul. You know, it probably needs a real shot, a real kind of change, something to really shake it up and reinvest it with some purpose and some self-confidence. Otherwise, it will just, yes, endlessly go around in, in ever-decreasing circles. That's interesting, but um, Abby, I mean, how is it... You, you said you've pretty much seen the death of comedy or rather that's what you implied at the beginning, or at least yeah. it, it, certainly in a in a kind of suspended animation. But... What is it like, actually, if you are a stand-up comic now? I mean, there's no way of doing it. Is there a part, unless you go online, what? No, I mean, I I, um, I did my, um, after a period of time, I did my first live gigs um, just before Christmas this last year. And then Boris Johnson announced the second lockdown. <laughs> so I was like, oh, great. Uh, oh, fantastic. Thanks, thanks, Boris. And I have to say, they were, they were it was, honestly, it was, oh, I cried with joy being back on a stage, being able to drip, you know, like Sam Kinison all over the front row. I didn't even care if I got coronavirus. I was like, oh, this is just fantastic. Um, and then to have it taken away is um, is dreadful. I, I really pray that this, I mean, with all due respect, I, I love, I mean, this is nice, but I mean, please God, let not Zoom be where live, where comedy is going. Mm -hmm. Because you have to, you, you have to, that's the beauty of it, the warmth, the kind of seeing the whites of the eyes, the, the, the slight feel, I mean, that's just me. When I do comedy, there's that feeling of the bristling, you know, in the audience. I, I love that. Mm. So I, I hope it, it doesn't die. Isn't that actually what we're all missing in our lives generally at the moment? I mean, basically, and that is human interaction. I, mm -hmm. You know, I, I just wonder, you know, generally with our culture, you know, this sort of when we come back, you know, people all tell, well, when it's finished, when we're coming back, whenever that is, because the goalposts seem to be moving an awful lot, whatever your, your view on, on COVID, uh, you know, the culture itself will be altered, won't it? It will be oh. changed, surely, won't it? I, maybe it's wrong, wrongly placed optimism, hope that, I mean, in the, in the inter-lockdown period, and I, sorry to keep going back to Comedy Unleashed, I just think it's the best thing that's happened in the last year and a half. Um, but the the energy and the thrill of people in that audience having a laugh and seeing people that they hadn't seen in ages was so overwhelming um, mm. that I, I just, I hope that when this is over, when people can actually go back into places like comedy clubs and, and see things live, that the, the sheer... Um, uh, sort of warmth of the audience and, and the need for the social interaction and for the for, for a good laugh will overwhelm whatever um, incentives there are for, I presume, the gatekeepers of, of comedy, and there must be particularly with the BBC, to give mm. people what they actually want. And I'm hoping that the, that the energy and the, the weight of the deluge of people wanting this will force them um, to, to uh, sharpen things up and have a bit of a revolution in, in um, funniness. <laughs> Simon, you know, yeah. is it sort of, I mean, how, I didn't mean to pry into your personal 
finances or whatever. I mean, and I, you wouldn't, I, wouldn't, you wouldn't tell me anyway. But I mean, how the hell? It wouldn't be do, much of a pry. <laughs> how, how how the hell do comedians make a living at the moment? I mean, mm. it's 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 impossible, is it not? Yes, uh, like Abby, I had a few gigs. Um, and in Brighton, because it's um, by the seaside and because it has that kind of mindset, they did a few outdoor gigs, some gigs on the beach. We have an open-air theatre and there were a few. And it was a wonderful um, brief lacuna. And um, I had friends, my wife brought friends along, mainly through the school and so on, who came in quite large groups. And they were literally in tears afterwards. They had enjoyed it so much. Yeah. They had felt that release that, you know, you can only really get from communal laughter. It's an incredibly powerful drug. You yeah. know the, the 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 sharing of laughing together because it's the shortest and most sincere way to sh to share and acknowledge mutual feeling. You know, there's no way of hiding it. There's no way of disguising it. Music can do it to some extent as well, but really laughing, belly laughing, losing your shit um, <laughs> over something that someone has said on stage to the point where you really are afraid you might wet yourself <laughs> well into middle age. You know, there is nothing like that. There is nothing so cathartic, and and people have been denied it exactly when they've needed it most. You know, because we're we've we've uh, and in this regard i do agree with abby we are living under what are really feel superficially phenotypically rather soviet you know yes. experiences however well-intentioned and, and indeed justified they may be you know i remain to be entirely convinced that we've taken the right right route but certainly people need to be able to share their kind of befuddlement and anxiety and irritation and rage and they've been denied all of that, you know. But yes, you're also right. Of course, comedians have been right, denied the right or the ability to earn a living. I've been very lucky in the, this regard. I have a wife who has a professional, um, you know, who works in a, a, a in a sort of fairly sort of senior level in the public relations industry, and has and has kept working very hard throughout, you know. And um, God bless her, she has kept the family afloat, you know. And it's it. I don't know what I would do if it if it were just me. I suppose I would essentially be living on on some sort of handout but of course a lot of stand-ups fall between the cracks in that regard because they're often self-employed but of yes. course they arrange their tax in such a way as to minimize you know income tax so they're encouraged to sort of set up uh corporation and then they find that they you know which is all you know that's just the the, the how, how it goes you, you you make decisions about how to present yourself for revenue purposes and then sometimes those turn out in the long run not to have been as useful as you might have hoped but um, <laughs> you know there we go uh, but uh, i'm not i certainly wouldn't want to make this turn this into any kind of charity appeal for stand-up comedians and there are those among us i mean i've been doing it for 25 years i'll be brutally honest there are those among us of that vintage who quietly hope that perhaps it has lost its appeal to those who are superficially interested in it and see it as a sort of short ladder to some sort of celebrity status who think that you do half yeah. a dozen circuit gigs, get on a panel game, do a tour, get your own show. Do you know what I mean? There's, it, it had become a little bit, possibly it had become a little bit overpopulated as an industry. And um, I mean, I started in 1996. Comedy clubs were opening faster than comedians could be trained up to perform at them you know and that was a fantastic thing to 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 experience comedy at that point it had kind of gone into reverse a bit in that regard and, and was a bit clogged so maybe some people who weren't entirely committed to it will have found other things to do now maybe that's not the end of the world i don't know can you uh, give us names simon sorry can you give us names <laughs> oh god <laughs> <laughs> Of the of that the fame seeking talent. Bye, Simon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Gonna hand the list over to the KGB. I can think. Yeah. I, 
I can certainly think no, of some. I think that's very much that's very much a subjective judgment, but I, I'm oh. sure it's not one that eludes some people. You know, when they see the, the various platforms that promote Diplomatic. such people. Do you think? Yeah. Uh, do you think? Do you think as well on top of this that? Um, Abby, do you think? Yeah. Do you think that COVID is just simply not funny? I mean, Brexit, <laughs> Brexit uh, managed to spawn whatever we might think about it. You know, some quite good humour. Some would, became quite yeah. well known. We had one guy on who did the famous Burger King Brexit thing, which was uh, Alistair yeah. Williams, I think. It was very, very funny. Yeah, it was brilliant. But, 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 but generally speaking, it was, it was a source of laughter. But this is not necessarily. Is it what you think? Are people willing to laugh about the situation with coronavirus? I think, you know, I, I wrote down um, earlier this afternoon because uh, I, was, I was doing my little bit of homework and I thought there's, in, there's an interesting parallel with the, the sanitization, well, the pure sanitization of comedy and the sanitization of our lives as we're living them now. Mm. It's coronavirus now, but could it be something else? Could it have been something else, you know, six months down the line where we all went, oh, my God, quick everyone let's just hide in our homes let's just not be human let's be there's a lot happening which is to do with the way we view ourselves as human beings i think yeah. which is a kind of broader uh, a broader point maybe humorless i think there's some truth to that i would just add i think we have i mean there's no question that coronavirus is a real thing a real threat yeah, and one that's killed many many people before their time but, but our response to it is also symptomatic of a drift that society has been going through for a long time towards safetyism at all costs, the precautionary yeah. principle taken to pathological levels and, um, and being privileged above and beyond all other considerations. And again, you're right, that isn't quite what Peter asked, but I wanted to endorse that view. I think it is. And I think it's exactly the sort of thing that comedy does need to address. On that level, mm. I think comedy mm. is an absolutely crucial weapon to attack that kind of thinking because it's quite difficult on question time to sit there and go, well, actually, I'm sorry, but I do think the mental health and healthy development of my children is more important than the last two years of a 90-year-old's life in a care home. Mm. And if that's the oh. calculation you're making, you know, because you just get booed at, you know, on yes. question time, and it's difficult to sound that cruel and that callous, even though I will, you know, I will quite emphatically say that I do think that. But the but the ability to say it in comedy is much, much more powerful. And I, funnily enough, I, the one thing that I did at Unleashed that became vaguely viral and I had friends phoning me up and going, a mate of mine has just sh sent me a clip of you on WhatsApp, you know, not knowing that I know you, was a, a five-minute routine I did about the lack of, of A-list celebrity deaths under COVID because, you know, in 2016, <laughs> in January, we lost David Bowie and Alan Rickman and, you know, there were a load of one of the Eagles and Terry Wogan, you know, really kind of pucker A-list celebrity deaths. And that was just in January. And, and, and we've had a year of COVID now and we've lost Eddie Large and, you know, it's not good enough, you know. But I mean, that's just one approach you can take to it. The, the underlying kind of sentiment in there is what Abby is saying. It's like, I'm sorry, but this isn't good enough. We're, we're, we're like acting like this is some, 
terrible plague that has swept through the country on a, on a par with the Spanish flu. The Spanish flu had a median age of death of 28. The median yes. age of death under coronavirus is higher than the overall median <laughs> age of death. <laughs> you know, and this is what has brought the whole world to a shuddering halt. And I don't accept that. And I think that that is uh, like almost a response. Of, I never want to say you've got to talk about these things, but comedy is an industry, you know, it really it has the capacity to address those issues in a way that very few other mediums really do because you can you can use a little bit of hyperbole and you can allow yourself to become too enraged and you know the kind of physical the frustration of it you know the kind of basil faulty impotent rage kind of vibe that you can give <laughs> off is cover for saying some things that actually do need saying i think you yeah, can agreed. you can you can sort of envisage or at least i can like uh, comedy from maybe in the 1980s or 70s being applied to this situation i mean i can almost visualize it uh, mm. you know uh, the, the thing with masks you know there'll be a lot of comedy around masks and yeah. things like that slapstick but, style yes, exactly. like you can... <laughs> but I, I just sort of feel that that is off limits now for many people yeah. so i simon i think hit on this earlier when you said something that implied there's like a lack of self-confidence and it's the same thing with our reaction to coronavirus we, we're not really sure and when we and this might seem like an abstract point but when we're not sure about things we tend to make them fuzzy and blur them and it's the same with languages like lang the use of language like when politicians will speak in a way that intentionally obfuscates what they're saying so they've always got plausible deniability but if you have comedy that isn't straightforward and doesn't speak in a straightforward way it seems to be reflective of a society that has just lost its self-confidence mm. like one example i'm thinking of is um like the, the the way that if you look at really really good stand-up it's it doesn't see it's, it's not really on the right or on the left or it you know it just kicks in every direction up down left right it doesn't matter whatever's funny yep. is is fair game um and i i can't remember exactly what the the initial tweet was, but I had a bit of a Twitter spat with Al Murray a while ago, um, where he was saying something along the lines of um, good comedy punches up. But of course, his understanding of what is up and down is very different to my understanding of what is up and down. Yeah. But going back to the self-awareness point, this is a man who kind of ripping off Alf Garner, uh, the character of Alf Garner, has um, made his entire career out of taking the mick out of white working class people as a posh boy. Yeah. And he thinks yeah. that he can give people advice that they mustn't punch up in comedy. But the point is that I don't agree with him politically, but I find Al Murray very funny. And I find his, I find the character of the pub landlord very funny, even though it's definitely from his position punching down. Mm. Um, mm. And it's this combination of a self -aware, lack of self-awareness, uh, uh, maybe like a crisis of creativity in the way that language is used. It's just used in this kind of like blurry um, and, and obfuscating way. Um, and also that that lack of like self-awareness of, you know, where yes. you are positioned yeah. within things and, and taking the mick out of yourself and, and not taking things too seriously and not worrying about the consequences because we're all sort of locked inside of our homes quivering with fear that we might we might wrong think or wrong speak or you know uh but this is the point this is that you this is what i think this is crucial with the whole woke thing which i mentioned at the beginning now mm. the whole woke this is sort of different it is not like being pc and this is this has got a religious fervor about it, it seems to me. And mm. the last thing that religion does is tend to crack jokes about itself. Would you agree, Abby? 
Oh God! I mean, yeah. There's there's a zealotry. There's a yes, zealotry certainly yes. about the about the woke um, brigade. I think it's a lot more. Actually, when I, when people say woke, I've I found myself thinking it's more serious than that. I mean, it really is something that's poisoned so much of so much thought um, uh, and you know uh, free free thinking. Um, but the the of course the thing that it never does is forgive or um, seek. Um, redemption mm. uh, at all. And that's the one thing that the work will never have, I don't that, think. That's a, I think that's an excellent point. I mean, I would t totally, totally agree with that. I mean, do, do you think, would you would you go along with that, Simon? I mean, look, let's face it, it's, you can't make jokes about genders and sexes where people are quite genuinely saying in the, there are a hundred genders or whatever, that, and that is a position in an argument. How can you make mm. a joke about that then? Well, I suppose it, you, you, it depends on the, the format and the platform you're talking about. I think on Twitter, there are a lot of exchanges about that idea and there have been a certain number of jokes that have become kind of tired and, and stereotypical and repetitive in their own way, like I identify as a, an attack helicopter and all that kind of thing. I think in the real world, very few people are still quite as aware of it, but they perhaps sense that a different mood has overtaken things and they're not quite sure what is the defining change. Um, I think most people, to be honest with you, generally experience a certain kind of haze of nostalgia for the TV comedy of their youth at a certain point. I think if you go back and watch some of it, you might be surprised to see that it's not all quite of the same sort of standard that you, you might remember anyway. But it's things do move on incrementally sometimes and sometimes with a great surge, not necessarily progress. I agree with you. Um, there is also, you know, the capacity for, uh, for humanity to go into reverse in many important regards and, and to become more suspicious of its fellow human and, and, and so on that uh, things that undermine comedy. But I think the problem with the, with the lockdown era is that we have also gone into a kind of hunkering down mentality that was already there as well. And I think that possibly is, um, I think that is a, a, a potentially very dangerous combination that there's a kind of, there's a there's an, an activated and motivated and and overconfident minority who want to use all available media, including television comedy for a sort of program, for an agenda they do have, a kind of re-education program. And then there's a collapse of confidence and a collapse of appetite for self-expression and so on among a larger majority, what used to perhaps one time being called the silent majority, who just kind of feel slightly put upon and depressed and weary and tired and just go, oh, it's not worth watching the telly, there's never anything on, you know, rather than take the fight to those people. And so that's happening, I think, at that point. And yet it's not so much that there's like you, it's not so much that it's kind of like you can't joke about certain woke ideas, it's, it's that they, of course, think that there are more important things to joke about. They don't feel, the sort of people who make the comedy you don't like, They don't. it's not that they feel that you mustn't joke about 58 genders is that it's much more important to joke about the clear dishonesty lying racism etc that they think they see in boris johnson the calamus calamity of, of of dominic cummings the failure of of michael gove the idiocy of brexit they think all these things you know and perhaps with some justification depending on where you come from they think those things are more important and so you get a kind of 
relentlessly hectoring, slightly juvenile student agenda mm -hmm. about what is funny. It's not that they're denying there's anything funny about their shibboleths. It's just that they don't feel inclined to sort of draw attention to them, really. This is this yeah. exactly, you, you say student there, Simon. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, mm. I would also call that middle class, actually. <laughs> I, I, that's, comedy seems now to me to be much more of a middle class thing than the comedy of my youth. Again, yeah. I know that... No, I agree with that as well, yeah. I think that is true. But it's, it's a combination. It's kind of graduate, you know. I think it's juvenile and, and, and um, humanities and students. In that immaturity I mean, as well is the inability to see what is funny from someone else's yeah. perspective. So they don't find anything about themselves funny or anything about their own side funny. They only have the ability to laugh at the people that they disagree with. But that's not that's not a good foundation for comedy at all. No, the, the initial thing, and this does get very tiresome, is that nothing is judged on whether it is funny and whether it's a good observation or whether it was well-worded or even whether, you know, the construction of the joke was good because the funny word came last and, and you know, yeah. the, sprung, the spring was sprung in the right way. The question is, does, does this endanger somebody does this hurt somebody does this cause you know and i've had i've had people i mean and i could name i won't name names but i do have specific individuals in mind on this occasion who have said that jokes even told in a comedy audience in front of a com in a comedy club in front of adults who, who are paying and, and have given their permission to be you know confronted with stuff can still be dangerous and must still be considered by the comedian before they say it because it's a powerful spell. It's like an incantation. And once it's out there, it can it can seep into people's minds, it can alter their opinions, and they'll repeat it in other workplaces and in pubs and possibly in front of their children when they get home and then repeat it in the playground in front of people who will get hurt. I mean, it's insane. You start thinking like that and you are destined for the madhouse very quickly, even if you're not a comedian, you know. Yeah. that That is like... The, I wouldn't even put those kind of restrictions on, on somebody who works in human resources, let alone somebody who's supposed to be trying to actually... The whole point of comedy is that you just creep across the line occasionally. Yeah. That's what edgy comedy means, right? You, you're just you're hovering on the edge the whole time. That, there has to be that danger yeah. that you plummet off the edge into the abyss. That's yeah. where the thrill comes from. It's the, there has to be an it's the natural consequence, I think, of... Um, postmodernism's emphasis on the power of language, that it really is mm. like the sort of witchcrafty style Salem <laughs> trials mm. idea mm. that you can sort of just simply by committing a speech act or whatever it is that they would call it, you send this thing out into the world and it's like the the evil gaze of a, of a statue that is offensive or, you yeah. know, it's th that same thing that there is a, and like you were saying, it's, it's sort of has a religious feeling about it, that that it does have this almost supernatural quality to um, to its understanding of language. And, and once things like comedy and other creative, um, I don't want to say creative industries, but just creativity in general, once it gets wrapped up in that, it's com just completely yeah. toxic. This is the point. Really. There is another thing. Sorry, can I just yeah. make a quick observation? There is another thing that happens in comedy that I don't know whether the, the general public are as aware of, but... All, all comedy, panel shows and so on, and things like the news quiz, have I got news for you, that kind of stuff, they all work very much more like a sitcom than you might realise. Once certain characters are established, either, you know, Paul and, um, and uh, what's his name, Ian, on, on Have I Got News For You, and um, or, or, or like, uh, you know, other panellists, regular panellists, but also people who are in the news. Pe Nigel Farage... 
became quite quickly, many years ago, a regular character in the sitcom of any topical comedy. We knew who he was, we knew what his character was, and when we saw what has Nigel been up to this week, oh, God, what is he like? You know what I mean? (laughs) He's falling off stepladders, he's walking into signposts, he trips over (laughs) dog poo. He is a comedy character, and we need to see him exposed to ridicule every week. When he leaves the news, when he's no longer in the news, those shows struggle and panic, and they need to, they, they they really can confabulate some of the extraordinary notions, some some absurd uh, scenarios to drag him back in. I was on the news quiz at the beginning of of the pandemic about a year ago, almost to the day. Like next, I guess it was March. It was before they'd worked out how to get a, a comedy audience uh, soundtrack into it, so it was all quite weird. Anyway, we were just talking amongst ourselves. And in the very first news story, when there was this massive like pandemic to deal with, and also there were quite serious, you know, issues to do with with food supplies and all the rest of it, they managed to get in Nigel Farage standing on a beach talking about cockles and whelks or something, <laughs> as if it, as if it was of any importance, you know, because they're desperate to get this this the comedy. He's the star. You can't have the news quiz without Nigel yeah. Farage in, you know, and it's yeah. going to happen with Trump. I promise you. The next six months, he's off yeah. Twitter. He's out of politics. He is nowhere near any of the levers of power anymore. You have not heard the last of him in comedy. I promise you. I yeah. have to say, though, that, uh, you know, Nigel is quite good on cockles and world, so isn't he? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> very good. I think, um, listen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Abby. Thank you, Simon and Emma, for that great conversation. And um, I think we're going to be revisiting this subject definitely again uh, by the end of the year. No question about that. I'm thinking in particular because of the various legislation coming through and hate crime bills and things like that, in particular in Scotland. So maybe perhaps you'll join us again then. But thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. Been a pleasure. Been a pleasure. pleasure. Thanks a lot. <laughs> that is uh, all we have time for, as they say, uh, in counterculture this week. Please do subscribe, won't you? And uh, we shall see you again next time. Thank you. Thank you.